this wonderful, glorious experience that takes place when we recognize that we desperately need God to be the major point of our lives, that he is the the sea in terms of music of our life. He is that which strikes the chord that makes everything fit so that harmony comes together in life's struggles, whether it be with our family or our finances or our friends, whatever it is, when we begin to discover him as Lord, everything begins to work. But we must start the process. So the scripture tells us quite simply that in relationship to Jesus, everyone, everyone will recognize his name and everyone will bow down and everyone will declare him as what? As Lord. Everyone will. The only question is when. Will we declare him as Lord now? Will we allow him to put our life together and make things work? Or will we continue to struggle and act as if we can do it ourselves? See, we're all struggling with that issue. And the reason we struggle with that issue is because we are sinners. You see, sin is a power that desires to destroy us and that is foremost seen in the area that we refer to as pride or ego. It's that idea or thought that I can do it by myself. I can handle this. I can make this work. And that attitude is the very thing that takes us down to the bottom and destroys our life in every arena of life. And that's why Paul reminds us, the apostles remind us, the scripture tells us over and over and over again that we must, we must admit who we are. People who struggle with the issue of sin. People who are sinners... Who sin? How many of you recognize that in your life? Good. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> oh, same thing. You see, that is our struggle. No matter who you are, you may have smultified to the place. I love that term, smultify. To the place where you have become a mature Christian. Your walk with the Lord is strong. You understand his word. You love people around you but you will still struggle with areas in your life of sin. There will still be points in your life that you go, doggone it, I don't know why I react in that manner in that situation. And you have to constantly bring that one before God. And there's the interesting thing. Once that area becomes totally yielded to God and you announce him as Lord, you say, Lord, I admit, I admit that I'm a sinner and I admit that I'm struggling with this area of sin and I desperately need you to help me in it. And God takes it over and you find yourself overcoming it. And you go, my goodness, that area in my life is over. I'm no longer falling into that area of sin. Now, here's the interesting thing. As soon as that happens, you know what's going to happen next, don't you? Suddenly, you become aware of a new area that you probably didn't even know about before. Everybody else did, but you didn't. And God says, Lee, you have this problem with arrogance. And I go, Lord, I am not arrogant. Oops. And 
God begins to say, this necessitates a time of humbling and a time that's going to be difficult for you, but at the end of it, you will smultify. You will overcome. And you will become more like my son. All this begins when we admit. We start with that simple, amazing, difficult process of admitting that we are a sinner and admitting our sin. But it doesn't stop there. The admission of sin moves us to the place of saying, now what can I do about it? Father, what can I do about it? And he says, what you can do about it, Lee, is you can believe that my son died for you on the cross. That he shed his blood, not just to take care of the penalty of your sin, but to remove you from the power of that sin. And that as you believe in that, as you have faith in who he is and what he can do in your life, as you live life in a way that declares that belief, I will set you free. As you declare him as Lord and admit that sinner, as you believe in who he is and what he has done, I will set you free. Isaiah 53 talks about that amazing thing. And it says that Jesus not only, not only took care of the penalty of our sin, but he took upon himself our inequity, our brokenness, and he cleansed us so that we could become whole again. And scripture testifies in that truth over and over and over. It simply said like this, by his wounds you are what? Healed. Good. And I know that's always difficult when we throw those out at you. It's like, what if I use the wrong word? What if I say we are hurt? Uh, and I do that. I, that's why I, I almost dislike doing that to people because I feel like, how do you know what word I want you to give here? But you guys did really good. By his wounds, we are healed. And there's this wondrous thing we believe, we have faith in, we respond to it, and we find ourselves set free, smultified, step by step by step. Not instantly, not, not overwhelmingly of our life, but specific areas are finally done, finished, taken care of. And we find ourselves crying out like Jesus on the cross, it is finished, but it's in relationship to an area of my life that God has said, okay, let's move on. That one's done. Let's begin to work on another area so that the fruit of my spirit might pour forth through your life. But what it always comes down to is after I come to that place of belief, God calls me back to a recognition that he must be Lord of all or he's Lord of nothing. And that, I think, is one of the most difficult areas in our life as Christians. I don't know if it is in yours. I know it has been in mine. And that is that Jesus says, I must be Lord of all or I'll be Lord of nothing. He's an all or nothing Lord. You can either yield yourself 100% to me or walk on by. I have no use for those who are unwilling to yield to me and to allow me to work through their life. And the reason he says is because you become useless yourself. If you don't allow him to be totally Lord in every single area, if you don't choose him as Lord in every area that you can, use that terminology because some of you are already feeling guilty. No, no, this is not about guilt. This is about opportunity. And God is saying, choose me as Lord. Choose me as Lord, and I will set you free in that particular area. Because Jesus is so big in our life. He's so demanding in our life that everything else has to be pushed out. And he has to become not just sinner. He has to be sinner and left and right. 
north, south, east, west. I want everything. That's the cry of God in our life. And that's why I see so many Christians struggle. And I look at them and I say, you know, you're trying to be a northeast Christian or a southwest Christian and you'll never find the way God wants to lead you by choosing to only use partial directions. You'll constantly go in a circle and you'll never get anywhere. I remember when I was a young man with a friend of mine and we were out uh, we'd parked up in the Yosemite area and we just kind of stopped. We thought, oh, we're just going to go down off the side of the mountain. It's just so pretty. We're just going to go down and check things out. Bad idea. So we went down. I'm a hunter. I, I hunted most of my life when I was a young man. So I thought, I have great, I know where I'm at. No problem. Let's go, Carrie. That was the guy's name, Carrie. Okay, so we went off. We went down into that area here and it was about 4 o'clock. getting dark about 5.30. We were walking on down and it started getting a little dark. He said, ah, we better head back. He said, okay. And so we started walking what I thought was back. And it got dark, and I still wasn't back. I went, uh-oh. I think we're going in what? Circles. Yeah, and that's what we were doing. Now, I found out the next day where we were at. We spent the night, and God took care of us. It was amazing. Covered ourselves with pine cones. And yeah, we were touching each other. Yeah. You know, it worked. Oh, no, not that close. Come on. Was that kind of a night? I didn't do much sleeping, but we got through the whole thing, got up real early. As <laughs> soon as the light got up, I was up, baby. You know, I was like, okay, get rid of the pine needles. Let's find our way. We went, thank you, Lord, for keeping us warm enough that we didn't fall into death. The cry of Jesus is, if you don't make me Lord of your life, you're going to continue to think you know where you're going and you're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. And that's the ABCs of life. It's the ABCs that all of us have to understand and all of us have to respond to. No matter who you are. Someone asked me, what do I say to people who don't know Jesus? I said, just walk through the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the only one who can provide payment for that penalty and provide you with an opportunity to get released and then choose Him as Lord. Not just Savior. That's the belief part. Lord. And if that happens, your life will be changed forever. Okay? As the guy liked to say on that show, forever. Long time. Long, long time. And that's the ABCs of life is there. And once that happens, the change begins what I referred to a while back as the smultification process, which is a simple picture of the salmon as it's being changed, the trout going down the river, being changed from a, a, a river mouth uh, trout, in this case, into one who can actually live in the salt water, completely changed to live in a different environment, and that's the cry of God and the direction of God in our life. So we start going through these changes, change after change after change, step after step after step, as we go through the journey heading towards that place that God has for us and that one day when we finally step across the bridge and go, phew, Lord, I made it. I made it. I finished well. It was so exciting. Life was tough at times, but it was amazing. It was incredible. And now I get to look back and see how you did these different things. I get to see how I was a part of your mosaic I get to see how my purpose was intended and how it all fit together. Wow, that was incredible. 
And then we begin to live life as God intended for us to live it. But right now, God says, I want to give you a new name. I want to give you a new direction. I want to give you new hope. And that's why Paul cries out in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation or creature. He's brand new. The old has passed away. The what has passed away? The old, the new has what? Come. The new has come. It's with us. It's here. It's within us. And it's pushing to come out of us. We declare him Lord of our lives. And then we set aside a special time for what I call the reset button. The reset button. You say, what's the reset button? Well, I think that the Lord's Supper is God's reset button for us. That's why some churches, in fact, one that I was quite involved with for quite a while, choose to have a communion every Sunday. And the reason they do is because they say, you know, it's the reset button, and we need to reset every week. I said, I get it. I said, but I want it to be a big button. <laughs> I want it to be so that when we hit that reset button, we're like, wow, I got reset. And so we tend to do about once a month, and we push it. So today when we share in this wondrous time about the Lord's Supper, we're going to find ourselves going down and going, yeah, this is a big deal. And God is desiring to change my life. Today is a day in which I declare his grace and I allow him to come in and cleanse me from all my sin and my tendency towards sin. That's what this wonderful, glorious, special thing that God wants to teach us today that we call the Lord's Supper. See, when we're at the end of our game and we think we've lost and that we failed because of our sin and we want to give up, we want to give in and God says... Time for the reset button. Come on down. Time for the reset button. I want to renew your spirit. I want to revive your hope. You thought it was gone. Oh, it's not gone. It was just hidden for a little bit. I'm going to kick it up one more time. You're going to go, whoa. My hope is renewed once again because I got to share in this wondrous time called the Lord's Supper, which is a powerful time in which we get to experience Easter at least monthly. Let's watch this clip. The Lord's Supper, this wondrous time in which we get to experience Easter consistently, regularly, powerfully in our lives. The last time Jesus gets to meet with his disciples whom he has lived with for over three years. And the time comes, as the scripture says, when the time came. Jesus says, I have eagerly looked forward to this day. Now you have to understand, Jesus understands that today is the day that he's going to die. I have eagerly looked forward to this day because this will be the final Passover. That which was to be now will take place. The Passover, this wonderful picture for the Jewish people of redemption, of guidance from God, of restoration, and of declaration concerning the Messiah. That he would come one day. But they did not understand that the picture was much broader 
than they thought it was, that he would be the sacrificial lamb. That no longer would the Passover lamb be that which was prepared at the temple and prepared for all of them, the sacrifice given. Now only one sacrifice would be brought, and the sacrifice would be Jesus himself. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down at the table, and Jesus said, I've been eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this, share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. The time came when the sacrifice would be made. Jesus wants to make it clear exactly what is going on and why it needs to happen. But the reality is it falls on deaf ears because they didn't want to hear it. And they couldn't understand it. Why? Why, Lord? This is, this is just not right. Of course it's not right. It's totally wrong. But it was everything right. It was to make everything right again. It was the reset button of all eternity. It was the opportunity for God to introduce himself to all of mankind. It was a door that would open for all people to interact with God himself as Jesus would provide for us the sacrifice necessary to pay the penalty for our sin, to change our brokenness into wholeness, and to provide us with finally a soul that could speak to God. Finally, the ability to speak to God with my soul that had been so damaged that nothing could be said through that peace but it would be repaired by God himself. Prior to this time, Jesus already taught them, trying to get them aware of the simple fact of who he was. He had proved that he was master over all the elements of the earth. He commanded the wind to stop. He made the water solid as he walked on it. He had proved he was creator over all living elements. He made food from nothing and provided people with eyes who had none had been blind before birth and enabled them to see. And then he proved that he was the master over the element of death itself. First, by a little girl brought back to life, but then, so there'd be no question, bringing forth Lazarus after being dead in the grave for over three days. I am Lord over all. I am God, and I will give my life for you. He introduces disciples to the last Passover celebration, and he introduces this God element that declares his coming victory over sin and over death. The new sacrifice, when the hour came, when the time had come, Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover. Why was he so eager? Because this was the last Passover It was the fulfillment that God had desired to take place for thousands of years. And now the time had come. The Passover lamb, the cups of Passover were a shadow of what Jesus was about to do. He was trying desperately to teach the Jewish people 
what would take place, what needed to take place, but they failed to see the reality that was before them. It's the last one that he would eat until it finds fulfillment. See, that was the clue to show people that the Passover, this wonderful thing, was simply to show God's ability to rescue us from sin and the penalty of death itself. But also to tell us that it required a sacrifice, a sacrifice that only one could provide. It had to be God himself because he loved us so much that he said, I must bring humankind back to me. And so he provides the sacrifice himself. Not a ram this time in the case of Isaac, but himself. His one and only son who would die for all of us so that we might experience life itself. And from this point on, the Passover would have a new name. And the new name, the new element introduced by God would be called the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. A brand new promise from him. Not just a sacrifice, but a brand new promise. He proceeds to make the apostles aware of this new covenant God was now making with all people. He took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. He broke it into pieces. He gave it to the disciples and he said, This is my body. It's given for you. Do this to remember And after he supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant. The new what? Covenant. The word covenant is another word for promise. From God, it's the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice. A what? A sacrifice for you and for me. And so we begin to comprehend what's going on here. Previously, the Passover is about how God gave the Israelites freedom from the Egyptians who had held them in slavery for hundreds of years by this point in time. But the new Passover is about freedom for all of God's people, all who would respond, all who would admit, all who would believe, all who would choose, all those people both present and future, even past, who would respond to God's wondrous present. Because the scripture tells us that Jesus himself in the three days that he was dead, was busy preaching to the hundreds of thousands of millions of people who were already dead, awaiting judgment. And he preached to all of them, telling them the truth of what was going to happen to him and giving them an opportunity to believe and to respond. And millions do, but millions don't. The promise to all who Believe The Passover bread was unleavened because leaven was a symbol for sin. The new bread, Jesus' life, was representative of the unleavened bread of life. The one without sin who gave himself to become sin for us. That was this wondrous thing that would happen here. The new Passover bread reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life. And he lives in us, making it possible for us to walk in newness of life as we continue to feed on that bread. See, that's the cry of the Lord's Supper. Previously, the Passover declared freedom from without. Now it would be freedom from within. The slavery from sin that held us 
and stopped us from being able to respond to God would now be defeated. And we would have the opportunity to stand against and stand for. And that's the declaration Jesus makes, this new promise. The old Passover consisted of four different cups, each of which declared the truth of the Passover. Each cup was labeled. The first one was, he will redeem you. The second, he will rescue you. The third, he will guide you. And the fourth cup of wine, before you drink it, was called, he will restore you. It was also called the cup of Elijah. It was a recognition of the Messiah that was to come. And that's how the Passover would finish. Come quickly, O Lord, bring the Messiah. As the apostles drank, first cup, ate, second cup, stopped, third cup, drank. Jesus says, stop. And they're going, what? And he breaks out the bread and he tears it into pieces and he says, this is my body broken for you. A new covenant, a new promise that I make for you. And then he takes the fourth cup of wine and says, this wine is my blood poured out for you in recognition of forgiveness that will be given you as you drink it as I give my life sacrifice for you. The last Passover because it's the fulfillment of all that was to come. For I pass on to you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper and he said, this cup, it's the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it, the cup of restoration, of reconciliation. The final cup is now the only cup we drink. For all else has been done to the one who provides the cup and the bread, the bread of life itself. This wonderful, wonderful supper and I say, I said, uh, yeah, it's a kind of no condemnation salad. I like that stuff. You know, that's good. Main course, gray steak, you know. So, yeah, a little piece is a side dish. I said, wow, what, a, what an incredible meal we got coming our way. No calories, lots of power, and then no guilt dessert to finish it off. Then not great? I go, oh, my guilt is gone. My shame is finished. Wow, wow. Jesus says, come, eat, eat. And we find ourselves responding to this wonderful Lord's Supper with a completely new understanding of the calling of Jesus and the calling of us. Because that is exactly what he tells us. He took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. He gave it to the apostles saying, this is my body, which I am giving for you. It's a calling. Jesus died for you, for me, so that we might be able to live for him. It's no longer a he will, it's a he is. We eat the bread. 
and we honor the He is sacrifice, and we drink the I am cup, receiving and drinking in forgiveness and declaring His grace and sharing His grace one with another as we all come beneath the cross of Christ, recognizing our need. You have to forgive me. Sorry. You have no choice. You have no option. Jesus says, I died for you while you were yet a sinner, while you were against me. And today as we share in this special time, he says, you share that grace with those around you. For some of you, it's your husband. For some of you, it's your wife. For some of you, it's a friend. For some of you, it's an ex, a person that's no longer part but who still lingers because you're letting the bitterness stay there and you have not forgiven. And the cry of Jesus at the Lord's Supper is, as I have forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. You see, that's the cry of the Lord's Supper. Remind us of who he is, Lord of all, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So that in him everything, everything he might have the supremacy. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Things in earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross for you, for me. And we share in this wonderful time of recognizing He is Elohim. He's the God in all, the source of all being, the beginning of everything, the creator of all. He is Adonai. He's the God who knows all. He's the God Quark, as a scientist would refer to. The one who holds all the atoms together so they have unity and harmony. He's El Shaddai, God, who is supreme over all, almighty the head of everyone and everything. He's Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides all of our needs. He is Jehovah Rapha, the one who heals. Jehovah Shalom, the one who gives peace. He is Yahweh, the great I am. I am. Because that is the declaration of who Jesus is. I am everything, all things, to all people. And that is the cry of the Lord's Supper. We remember who he is, the reconciler of all, the one who forgives, the one who restores, the one who redeems, the one who reconciles. Remember his death and what it meant. And we examine ourselves to see, is he Lord of your life? Each one of us have to do that. And as we sit here and I pour out the wine and I go through the process and I break the bread for you, in my mind and in my heart, I'm saying, Lord, are you Lord? Have I given you everything? Is there a place in me in which you must have lordship? And inevitably he says, Lee, what about here? And I go, but I've really tried. And God says, quit trying, just give it to me. Just give it. 
And that's the Lord's Supper. We eat and he gives. He provides everything. That's the Lord's Supper. The new sacrifice. The new promise. The new calling. The Lord's Supper. What a wondrous thing he has provided. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until the day, the day that he returns. We proclaim it is finished. He is Lord. Pray with me. Father, we recognize that you are Lord. And we recognize that you have provided everything for us. And today we come to you desiring simply to be your people. And we ask that you might grant to us an understanding of this new covenant. That you might grant us the ability to respond to your son. And not just to ask him to come into our lives and in our hearts, but to truly believe in who he is and what he has done and ask you, be Lord, be Lord of my life. Show me how to live life because you're the one who made it and you understand it, I don't. Guide me in your way. Teach me your truth and I will submit to you. Lord, this day, we ask that you might grant us your peace as we remember you. We remember and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to simply go side to side here. We have a table in the back. And I have different elders are now going to go to those tables with their wives. We're going to share with you. I already talked to them and asked them to do that so they know who they are. And as you come to the table, you want to take a bit of bread that we've set aside for you and a bit of juice. That right now is just juice and bread. Folks, when you get ready to take it together, the power of God enters in and it becomes the literal blood in the body of Jesus. This wondrous change happens. As we eat, Jesus changes that element and he says, I am here. Let me be Lord. I encourage you, one by one, come down. Let's all stand. Everybody stand. Or go to the back. Either one you like. From side to side, if you know Jesus, Lord, come down and grab a bit of juice, a piece of bread, and then together we'll share in this wondrous supper.